Good morning. This is our fourth message in 1 Peter, and um, we have one more message next week. And I'm going to be reading today from the second chapter into the third chapter. And these two passages bookend the content in the middle. They help you to understand all that is present in the middle of the passage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these two passages, and then I'm going to give you four things very briefly to think about, and then we will dig into the content of the message for this morning. So is everybody here ready for the Word of God this morning? All right, you're better than the last group, not so much the last group. 1 Peter chapter 2. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Now, when he talks about one mind here, let me be very clear what he means. He's not saying that you should all believe the same things. He's not talking about beliefs. He's talking about actions. He's talking about how we treat and live in the world the way of Jesus. This is what it means to be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Can I just read that one more time? Boy, what a word for our world today. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Now here are my four things. These are the four things I mind from these two chapters. Be honorable, respect everyone, do good anyway, search for peace. I learned a long time ago that uh, that I should never ask my wife what she thinks of the sermon before I deliver it. Well, I, I can if I do it on Wednesday, but not on Sunday before the service. 
I got up this morning, we were having breakfast, and she said, how's the sermon today? I said, it will be really, really relevant. And she said, don't you think people are getting tired of you being relevant? (laughs) I said, way to go, bummer for me, huh? And I thought about it for a minute. Yeah, maybe. I'm a little weary of being relevant. And I thought to myself this morning, wouldn't it be great if I could just come in on a Sunday morning and preach a message that was totally meaningless and irrelevant? (laughs) Didn't challenge anybody, didn't risk offending anybody. Wouldn't that be just great if we could talk about something that made us feel good for a while and then we left and never thought about it again? Wouldn't that be wonderful if I were just irrelevant? Well, the problem with preaching through a book of the Bible is it's a whole lot different from playing theological hopscotch, picking and choosing what makes you feel good. Because whenever you read a letter that was written 2,000 years ago, you find that the issues that were confronting people then are the same issues that confront people today, and you're forced to deal with what is relevant. This material today is incredibly relevant. This week I was in Lexington, and a group of pastors, disciples, ministers from around the country gathered together for a leadership conference. And they were talking about what's happening in the world today. And one of them addressed the group and said this. He said, and I'm going to quote him directly. This is a hard time to be a church. There is so much hate and division in the world. And then he said this, it's not a right thing. It's not a left thing. It's a hate thing. People hated the last president. And people hate the current president. And he said, people are so angry and so divisive. And he said, it feels like it's getting worse. And then he said this phrase. He said, my soul is weary. Second thing that happened this week. I love TED Talks. Anybody ever watch a TED Talk? They're wonderful on all kinds of subjects. And they have a podcast called the TED Radio Hour. And what they do on the TED Radio Hour is they bring together people around different subjects and talks who have given the TED Talks. And they interview them. The one that caught my eye this week was the subject of reconciliation. And the whole topic was around how do you bring people together who find themselves totally on different planets. They they didn't just talk about people who are in different political parties, but people in their same family, same church, same neighborhood. How do you bring people together to agree to tackle big problems in the world? And they said, is it even realistic for there to be reconciliation in the world today? Are we just too divided? And then there was a woman they interviewed who had three members of her family killed, 
um, Muslim family, and it was a hate crime, and they were murdered. And she was reflecting on her experiences. And then she made a statement, the statement that's the title for the sermon. And she said, it feels like hate is winning. It feels like hate is winning. So I thought, that's my sermon title. And then almost as soon as all the bulletins were printed, I thought, that's not a good title, is it, David? And I was going to tear them all up and start all over, but then my staff would hate me. <laughs> I thought about it for a minute. I realized that even the title is so measly misconstrued. When I say hate is winning, some people will think that what David is talking about, hate is winning because of the person who was just elected president. When I say hate is winning, there's another part of our congregation who will think that I'm referring to the people who don't like the president and who are reacting to him and who he is as a person. There'll be some people who will think when I talk about hate is winning, I'm referring to the march that happened last week, uh, that march. When, they say, when I say hate is winning, they'll think I'm talking about the march that is this week. The danger today is that people are so sensitive that when you talk about anything that really matters, it's easily misconstrued as being political. And we've always wanted this to be sort of a political free space for people to respect people's differences and beliefs and opinions. Our church, right? That's who we want to be. But the difficulty is with that title, it's so easily misunderstood. Let me tell you what I mean when I say hate is winning. When I say hate is winning, it's applied to everyone and everything. I'm not talking about this side or that side. I'm talking about hate everywhere. I'm talking about the fear, the violence, the animosity, the anger, the suspicion, the mistrust, the bullying, the vulgarity, and the generally overall nastiness in our world. And our world today feels so very, very, very fractured and so very fragmented. I see hate on all sides, from sports to politics, within families, within churches, among Christians, and among different religions. Now, I want to point out my good friend sitting right here. Raise your hand, Elizabeth. Raise your hand. You know what she said last week? She said, David, I didn't appreciate your diatribe on Facebook. Your diatribe on Facebook. I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Facebook. <laughs> Last week I said Facebook is hate book. She said it's not hate book. It only reveals what's already in a person's heart. Good point. Social media, there's nothing wrong with social media, but it becomes a magnifying voice for people's blackness inside their souls. It's not the media. It's how we use it that reflects the hate in the world. And so I'm not so sure that there's more hate and division in the world than there was in the past as much as we just have more ways of magnifying it and megaphoning it. So can I show you my heart? Let me just show you my heart this morning. What's in my heart? It's overwhelming right now. I feel, I, I felt overwhelmed. I felt timid. I've been 
fearful, and it's taking me some time to really ask some hard questions of myself. Okay, here it is. We have some core values. Our first core value as a church is that we are a church that's going to love unconditionally, radically welcome everybody. We are a church that respects freedom of belief, meaning you interpret the Bible as God leads you, and you interpret how that's to be applied in the world for you. That means people who are here have lots of different points of view. Third core value, we're a church of real conversations where you can have real conversations. Here's my question. Is that possible? Is it possible that we can be a church that doesn't allow the world to define us and how we talk to each other, but we choose how we will talk to each other and become a model for the world. Is that even realistic? Is it even possible? Fourth core value, being a place of intentional, infectious community. How does that happen? And so I've been praying, how can I as a leader create and develop that and use my language and my words to inspire us to those values that are so important to all of us? So I'm thinking about all these things, praying about all these things, and then I remember I have a wonderful conversation partner. Not my wife, because she wrecks my sermons. <laughs> but Peter, Peter, Peter. Because everything that is old is really new. Here's what Peter was doing. Peter was writing to a group of people who had never been Christians before. They were a kind of community that was unlike the rest of the world around them. Nothing like them. Because they brought people together from all different backgrounds and beliefs and, and socioeconomic groups to form a new kind of community built on the same mind of Jesus to be loving, tender-hearted, kind, caring, speaking for those who have no voice, caring about the poor, crossing boundaries to bring all those things that we, we, we bring from Jesus. They'd never done it before. So he is writing to them, and he is saying to them, because God has been so merciful to you and has reached into your heart and forgiven much and cleansed much, you must Remember that everyone's on the same footing, so love each other deeply. That what you have in common is greater than what divides you. Build your life on the foundation of his loving principles, not the things that you believe, but his way of being in the world. The second thing he's addressing is that these churches were experiencing external pressure. Because the moment they gave themselves and their allegiance to Jesus, they found themselves at odds with a divisive and hateful culture where you paid a price for loving in the way of Jesus. When they looked around at the world, they were saying to themselves, and I'm using this language, it feels like hate is winning. 
So he's writing in this second chapter these words about how we're supposed to live in a way that brings honor to the name of Jesus. And in those four things I said a minute ago, he talks about being honorable, being respectful. He talks about, um, about seeking peace always and doing good and loving in spite of how you're treated. It doesn't matter how the world treats you, he says, you live by a different standard. And so when it feels like hate is winning, what I, this is what I take from 1 Peter. This is the relevant message. We rise above it. The high road may be the road that is less taken, but the high road is the pavement that God is putting down in the world to bring his love and mercy into the world. Can I say that one more time? The high road is the road less taken. But it is the road that Jesus brings into the world to bring his goodness and mercy to the world. So he says in that first passage that I read earlier, regardless of what's happening and how you're being treated, be a person of honor. Now that can mean a lot of different things to different people. What does it mean to be honorable? What does it mean to be an honorable community? Can I just, can let's, this is real. Can I get real for a minute? Okay, let me get real. All right, here's real. So, the Sunday after the election, I walked into the room and I'm preaching to a group of people where half of you are really happy, half of you were not happy. You know what we did? We came to church. And then we put aside our differences and we were invited to share a meal with Jesus at his table. Symbol of unity and reconciliation. And you know what is remarkable? Four years earlier, I walked into the sanctuary and I remember thinking, boy, there are a lot of really happy people here today. A lot of really unhappy people here. You know what we did? We came to the table and we broke bread and we shared a meal with Jesus who's all about reconciliation, who was broken for us. But you know, I got an even better example. This is the best example of all. It was just, a, it was just in December. I think it was around December 29th, middle December. There was this huge thing that happened down at Yum Arena. And a bunch of people gathered there who disagreed vehemently about all things sports. And then the Cardinals won and beat the Cats. And you know what happened on Sunday? You showed up and you were invited to share a meal with Jesus. And you know what's funny about that is after the election, no one wore political buttons on their shirts, but you all came wearing your Cats and your Card shirts. And you gave each other a lot of beeswax about it. But we came and we shared a meal at the table. I don't want to say it's not messy. It's really messy. But maybe I'm naive to believe that we can be that kind of church. Maybe I'm naive to believe that people can feel differently about things in the world and how we're supposed to respond to things can come together and be a model for the world for what Jesus wants. United around an ethic of love and honor. Now, when you read the next section, 
the next section, which talks about respect, let me be very clear. The next section is some of the reasons why people think the Bible is irrelevant. Because it basically says that all the leaders that lead our government, God put them there, and they put them there to punish you when you do wrong, so obey them. And then it says, if you're a slave, you should honor your slave owner. And if you're a wife, you should submit, you know, submit, you know, to your husband. How's that working for Yeti? Yeah, right, right. Not so well. I know Gladys too. <laughs> you read that and you go, what, what planet is that from? Three ways to interpret the Bible. One, there are some things in the Bible that are timeless, 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 timeless. Word of God. Love your neighbor. Care for the stranger, for the orphan, for the poor. Those are timeless. Be respectful, be honorable, seek peace, timeless will of God. There are some things in the Bible that represent the will of God for a particular time and place. So when this letter was written, it was not meant necessarily to be applied to everyone and everything. Because there are parts of the Bible where people defy the government. Okay? Martin Luther King Jr. stood up to the government, yet he was respectful and honorable. So it's not meant to be applied to everything and everyone. Then there's some parts of the Bible that never represent the will of God. Uh, placing women in an inferior status to men, that's not the will of God. Slavery, never the will of God. So when you read a passage like this, it's not just black or white, you have to interpret it. So when I read it, he says, be respectful. You may disagree with what other people think. You, you may find yourself openly offended and think that what's being said is completely wrong but you win no friends you convince no one by being disrespectful and nasty to people who disagree the third thing is Jesus says it goes on and says Jesus was suffered yet he loved anyway so we just love anyway no matter what happens we're going to rise above it people may be mean they may be hateful may be disrespectful but we're going to be loving and respectful anyway and then he goes on and says you want to be a ha live a happy life basically be peace loving people and not and seek peace and maintain it what that means is try to understand people who are different and listen to them So maybe I'm naive, but I believe it's possible. Our church is founded upon this sort of core idea and core belief. And you know what I believe? I believe that if you sit down and really listen to another person who believes so differently from you, that you know what you're going to find out? That we're basically all the same. When you peel back the politics, when you peel back the religion, when you peel back the fear, when you peel back their hate, when you listen to people, the layers start coming off. And you know what you find behind all those things? You find that we all are basically the same at the heart. Inside of every human being is a piece of our God. Inside of every single person is a person who wants to belong, who wants to, to be loved, who wants their children to be safe, you know, who wants their children you know, to have a good, safe home. If you don't believe me, Make time to just meet some of the refugees that live here in our community. Get to know their story. Get to know, get to know, to know their heart. Or for some of you, get to know someone who's on the completely the opposite 
in the face. Here's what I know about David Emery. When I die, and if I want to be condemned for anything, I want to be condemned for being too merciful. Uh, that, that sounds like, oh, boy, he's, boy, that's really noble, boy. You know, you know he wants to be, you know, uh, but give me a break a little bit, okay? What I mean is, that's not so easy. I remember in one church I served, we had a, a 20-year-old, a 20-year-old, they got pregnant, and this is a small town, and we threw her a baby shower. Mercy. We had a big leadership event here recently, and we invited the two imams from the Muslim community to come and be a part of it. And you wouldn't believe the really hateful email I got. Why would we have a room for prayer for someone who's a Muslim? Why would you do that? You know why? Because that's what it means to follow in his steps, to walk in the way of Jesus. Nelson Mandela said this, I need you in order for me to be me. And you need me in order to be you. No one is born hating, they're taught to hate. And if they can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. Let me see. No one is born hating. They're taught to hate. But if they can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. So this year, I have a goal for the church this year. And we're going to be talking about it all year. We want to cross boundaries to share good news with people. Not to convince them of anything, but just to hear stories and to get to know people. So I want to give you uh, the other lunch challenge. Call it the other lunch challenge. I want you to intentionally take someone to lunch who has a different view of religion, politics, sports, sexual orientation, race, abortion, climate change, immigration, gun control, the death penalty. I mean, they don't have to have all those things, you know, whatever. <laughs> just, just pick one who feels differently than you on these things. An evangelical Christian, a liberal Christian, atheist, or the neighbor on your street that leaves the trash can out in front of his yard all light and still hasn't taken down his Christmas lights. That neighbor. Take anyone to lunch or coffee that just lives on another planet. A man came up to me after the worship service and he said, I don't know anyone who thinks differently than me. That's one thing that might be wrong. <laughs> The second thing is he doesn't have a clue because I looked at his wife and they can't agree about anything. <laughs> the purpose is not to convince anyone of anything or defend anything you believe. This is not to convince anyone or defend anything about what you believe, but to get to know them. Why they believe as they do. Share personal life experiences and talk about your families and seek to know who they are behind the issues. The purpose is making a connection. 